series with the Clippers, 123-109. It was Devin Booker who had 39 points for Phoenix as that series shifts over to Los Angeles. I'm Dawson Angelo, and this has been your two-minute drill on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. The two-minute drill has been powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can make every moment more. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. We're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. We spoke yesterday about the opportunity that both the Cajun baseball team and the McNeese softball team had both playing LSU. Um, You know, I'm sure there were a few of us that thought those two things were possible. To be honest... I would if you'd have told me to rank them, I'd have said McNeese softball probably has a little better chance because one LSU baseball was you know quite a bit better than LSU softball team this year comparatively speaking, and again the Cajuns are you know LSU's got some injuries like um um I look I'm gonna call him Dugas just like I call Kenny Trahan Kenny Trahan draw I mean that's just the way it is. Gavin Dugas out. Uh, and, you know, they have some other injuries, like the Cajuns are without Kyle DeBarge, and, and Julian ended up, he didn't start, but he came in and played last night, and he's still without arguably their best relief pitcher in Dylan Toyd, who hopefully will be back next week. We'll see, and uh, who knows when DeBarge will be back, um, you know, really like he was prior to his injury. But so you didn't really know what, the Cajuns were going to do. The Cajuns have not been playing that that well. You know, they're kind of at a crossroads. Like, they're still very much in the Sun Belt race, and yet arguably their three toughest series are still to be played. And so there's a lot going on here. And lo and behold, they both got victories. You know, I didn't check. Uh, Dawson may have the what, how much McNeese rose, but I checked the, the Cajuns went up 13 spots in the RPI. Yeah, McNeese went up seven. They're now 53rd. And so not only did the Cajuns go up 13 spots, but again, they still have Southern Miss and Coastal still left to play. They're in top 20 RPI teams right now. Coastal's like up to number 11. So you're talking about if if they can go three and three in those six games, which is realistic, but who knows? You know, those are good teams. Uh, the Cajuns are going to have to play really well. But if they can 
you know, take care of like Monroe and the teams that on paper they're better than. And if they can go three and three against two top 20 RPI teams from here on out, plus Texas State is not what they were, but their RPI is not bad. It's not Coastal and Southern Miss, but it still would be nice to, you know, they could win that series. Then I think you got a shot of doing what I think a lot of people didn't think could be done. Now, you know, there's a lot of categories here. Um, you know, I'm going to do my disclaimer that I've been doing on the air for decades, you know, uh, and that is, look, I understand for many people, I get it. Believe me, I get it that, you know, how big just the Cajuns playing LSU is in any sport, but especially this one, um, and softball. And how important it is, and that for for many people, all none of this RPI and all Sun Belt races and all none of that matters. This is UL versus LSU. They want we want you know UL. You want to win? I get it. And none of that for some people, none of that matters. And I get that. But my disclaimer for decades has always been understand and 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 it didn't matter i said the same thing when cages beat iowa state in football understand just because you beat a power 5 team even if they're ranked number 1 in the country does not mean that the sunbell games are going to be any easier and you can tell fans that over and over and some are going to get it, and others are just not going to get it. And that's fine, but but I'm still, I mean, I'm going to say it again. Just because the Cajuns beat LSU does not mean Sunbelt games suddenly get easier. And I'm glad you make that point because I, and, and we've had actually some callers recently calling and ask us, like, what would happen if you put Kentucky in the Sunbelt? They'd be the best team in it. And I'm always like, listen, you're – the teams that are in a conference with each other, like the Sun Belt, and even the last couple of years is maybe a little bit of an exception because they've added a bunch of new teams. But like when you're in a conference with teams that you have similar resources to and you compete with every year and the teams know you, like it's, it's different. different. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, if Kentucky was put in the, in the Sun Belt this year in baseball, would they be the best team in it? Maybe so. But if you put them in there for 10 years, like things would eventually level off because they'd be getting the yeah. same revenues Plus, and everything like that. Yes. Plus. Baseball's even different. Like, that's a football comment. And 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 I said when when Chad asked that question, um, you know, in basketball and football certainly, but baseball and softball are just different. I mean, it's just look, Coach Deggs did what he had to do. Okay. He talked about, you know, he brought up the reference to the miracle on ice and and and, and all of that. For those who 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 didn't maybe get that reference, but but t- this is not a miracle. The Cajuns have beaten LSU four the last six times they've played them. It's not a miracle. This is baseball. I brought that up on RP three. I, yeah. I, they, I, mean, I this never, is baseball. My entire time at UL, they never lost to LSU until my senior year. And so, I, I again, and it, there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. I'm not saying don't be all fired up, but. I was uh, – I'll I tell you what, I don't know he's my favorite player, but one of my new guys I really like interview is Connor Higgs. I got a chance to interview him on Sunday uh, after he hit the the homer to, to, to help him win game three of that series and salvage a game. 
um, against Troy, and he he was right. That you know he was asked. Raymond Aston, what's it like to be the number one team? And this is guy's a sophomore. He's still a young kid. He still looks like he's about twelve or thirteen years old. Uh, and he and he said it's awesome, but but we got to beat JMU on this weekend. And 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 it's true. Now, it is possible that that this could be a launching pad to a hot finish. You know. If Kyle DeBarge comes back, if Cooper Rawls can make the successful transition to being a Friday night starter from being an ace reliever, um, if Dylan Toy can come back and be the effective, you know, I think going into the season they were expecting him to be the best relief pitcher in, on, in, in the bullpen and very possibly he will be. Most likely he will be. Um, if he's you know can come back and pitch to his potential. And if Max Marshot can continue to hit the ball, he hit two balls really hard last night. Um, if Carson Rockefort can go back to playing the rest of the way like he did last year when he was just fabulous. He had one of the best seasons in the history of the program last year. This year he's been okay by his standards. I mean, if it was if he was a freshman, we'd be saying he's doing great, or a first year newcomer from a junior college. But when because he had this triple crown season last year, you know, you look at him, you say hey, he's hitting three hundred, but yeah, but he's not hitting three seventy. You know, he he he's doing okay, but he's by his standards, he's not he's not doing all that well because his standards were really high going into the season. The bar was high, so. If those things can happen, and look, they're all realistic. All of those things I just mentioned are realistic. But if those things happen, I think they will be in position to finish strong. But again, beating Coastal and Southern Miss, it's not going to be easy. Beating Texas State's not going to be easy. Now, I like their mental edge that they might have on a Texas State. But again, what happened last night is not going to really impact those games that much. What it All does those impact, other things have to happen. Yeah, and, and but what it does impact is the opportunity you might be given in those games Absolutely. because of the RPI last Yeah, night. right. Again, from an RPI standpoint, it's it's tremendous and 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 coach Deggs knew that. He mentioned it in the Monday presser and he said it last night that what that win does is it you beat the number one team in the country. It's on your resume now. And I think that still impacts people, committee members some, but it allows you to cover up, as he said, for a multitude of sins recently. And it does. So, again, it gives them an opportunity and opens a door that looked like it was pretty close to being shut. That's what it does. It looks like it opens that door. And again, I, I don't think McNeese's door was sh- close as close to being shut on the softball side, but no, that that really helps them. That 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 really helps them, and and I would think it helps the Cajuns. Look, the Cajuns that that increases McNeese's RPI, and and if they can finish strong, the Cajuns beat them three times, and they didn't just beat them; they handled them all three times. They were, none of the three games were really all that competitive. 
And as a committee member, I, I, you know, I would be looking at that, but I don't know how deeply they look at all that stuff. But look, it was great for the Cajuns. Um, and there were a lot of good things about it. And David Christie's performance was number one. I mean, look, he, he did not, he had like, he hit like five batters in last week in two games and he was all over the place and did not pitch well. And not only did he pitch well against LSU, he went six innings. And really, he got credited one run because it was his runner when he walked the leadoff batter before um, Cooper gave up the two-run homer to Trey Moore. And it was a bomb. I mean, that ball, oh, man, was that ball crushed. But, um, but no, that was, um, that was, that was a great, great victory for the Cajuns. Puts them in good position. But again, they got a lot of other things that need to get taken care of before this can be the launching pad that Cajun fans are hoping for. Yeah, and I've had this, I've had this kind of running thought about Cooper, and I've shared it with you a little bit, that I, I've just been a little concerned when he starts to face better bats that I didn't know if that run was going to continue. And I got like both ends of it because he came in and he gave up a two-run homer to Trey Morgan, and I thought, oh, here we go, facing – but then he struck out the best hitter in the country, the next batter. So like, but I, but 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 he's given up homers before. He gave up a homer. Um, yeah, and I, I'm I'm more the I, weekend before, but he I still think pitched I'm getting well. More confident in that slider, like, and I just I don't know why I had this reservation. I guess because we've seen Cooper struggle at times. I had this reservation, but like seeing that slider last night, and you know, hearing the commentators talk about it, and just seeing it against those bats. Navigating that ninth thing, like, look, LSU is a team. You got a three-run lead. It's it's not that big of a, of a lead. Like I was, and he went in there after giving up the two-run homer and just shut things down. Even with the walk to White, like I was, I was not concerned with their with his mental approach, but that doesn't mean he's going to be able to get LSU's lineup out. And so I, I, you know, he he did what they needed him to do. And yeah, did you want to give up a two-run homer? No, but. He still did what what he needed to do. He threw strikes and made them earn it. And the, and, and you know on that night they weren't able to do that. All right, let's take a timeout. Uh, connect as we do each Wednesday at this time with Cokie Riley. Next, stay tuned. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. All right, welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us... Our weekly interview at this time, Mr. Cokie Riley. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. It was uh, nice getting to see you last night, Kevin. Yes, so, we, um, we don't. We talk on the uh, phone all the time, but we never really get to visit off the air because, um, you know, I'm always in Lafayette and you're in Baton Rouge or wherever. And so, yeah, it was um, appreciate the hospitality. And you know, when you go into those kind of games, you never really know what to expect, especially since both teams are a little banged up and have some issues. Um, but it turned out to be a pretty good game, at least for the Cajuns. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, it was um, it, it was a sort of it was a sort of a interesting coincidence that um, obviously we get to see each other in person for once, and then we get to watch 
a game together with the two teams that were, um, I, I guess we cover, right. uh, playing against each other just before the day we're going to go on air for this. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it kind of created this interesting circumstance. And then for UL to win and win pretty convincingly was um, really interesting. And, uh, yeah, and I think that was probably the worst loss of the year for LSU. Uh, UL isn't quite um, – you know, the, they aren't the worst midweek team LSU has played this year or will play this year, but um, it, it was just a it was just a really really lackluster performance, almost from start to finish for for LSU. All right, so from an LSU perspective, obviously it was only one inning. Uh, his pitch count, I didn't think that was was that high. Uh, so I thought maybe they could try to get another inning out of him, but they obviously had a plan going in. What 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 do you make of the significance of Coleman's performance last night, even though it was an inning? I think it was fairly significant, you know, just to see him um, get up to ninety four, almost ninety five miles an hour with his fastball, uh, to be able to locate his pitches, especially. As the win- inning went on, uh, I thought his control really improved once he got the first batter out. Uh, and, yeah, like, he didn't really use his slider that much. I think he only threw it, like, two or three times. But um, I, th- I thought it was a really impressive performance for him. And I, I, would- I was going to be shocked if he went more than the inning just because you don't really want to – I mean, this was his fr- again, this was his first appearance in 14 months So I- I- in-, in a game. So I don't think he wanted to really – Pushing that much, and I don't know if he'll, you know, get up to more than an inning until at least I don't know the SEC tournament or something like that. Um, because I, I think they just want to take it slow and make sure he he's feeling good. Um, it does sound like, however, like Jay Johnson said after the game, that looks like he's going to be available to pitch against Ole Miss as well. So um, potentially they could use him for an inning or a few batters in that series too. So. Yeah, I thought it was a very, I thought it was a very significant development for them because once they get Nate Axenhassel back from his hamstring tweak, um, which could be this weekend, then they'll have four lefties, and three of them have been excellent this season. And one of them, Riley Cooper, didn't pitch well last night, but I do think in short spurts against left-handed hitters, they, he's he's fairly useful. So um, yeah, I, they just have a lot more left left-handed versatility than they had last season, and. Um, Coleman coming back is a big reason why. All right. So if they continue to kind of ramp him up and things go well and he's healthy and he pitches well, what do you foresee his role being in like regional and super regionals? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I Personally, I, I think that he'll most I, – I think he's going to be pretty strictly a reliever for, for this season. I, I think if he – Hadn't, if there was no injury and he hadn't gotten hurt, I think it was, there could have been a chance he could have slid into a starter role. But um, I think best case scenario right now is he becomes a two or three inning reliever for them and um, can really help them out against left-handed hitter hitting, hitting of course, um, but can sort of elevate the fastball and it, it gives them a little bit more juice on that left side uh, with that fastball than some of their other lefties. So. Um, I, I, I think that he could be a really, really useful guy against some right-handed pitching as well, and he can go. He can be kind of a multi-inning option for them um, at the bullpen. But you know, everyone in the major league world kind of freaked out 
over, you know, two and three and four years ago when the uh, Rays kind of introduced the concept of the opener. But college baseball teams have kind of been doing that forever. I mean, essentially, that's what he did last night. I mean, so, I mean, why couldn't he be a starting pitcher and, and pitch three to four innings? I, yeah, I could certainly see that as a as a potential option. Um, four innings might be a stretch for him this year. Uh, again, just because they don't want to, you don't want to push a guy, a young guy, that much when he's coming off that sort of series of an injury. And the fact that he came back so quickly, you want to, you want to make sure that you didn't, you, you didn't, you're not rushing him into anything. You know, um, it's not like he's had you know 18 months of time to rest. It's been 14 months, which is usually considering that he had Tommy John surgery. That's a little quicker than what you typically see. So I guess you just want to be cautious with that. And yeah, I mean, I could see them using him as a two or three inning opener and getting to your next guys. I mean, they're already doing that with Christian Little. They're already doing that. I mean, they kind of did that with that to her when he was starting. But uh, I think Little, and I think he'll mostly come in the pen also because, like, I think Christian Little's probably going to be that third starter for the rest of the year, if I had to guess, unless that Hurd can figure this thing out and get back to the guy that he was at the very beginning of the year. So, um, yeah, like I, I, I think it's possible, but I, I don't. I just don't think he's at the top of mind right now when it comes to that. And I also think Griffin Herring, who has built up his pitch count a little bit more, is probably more of a candidate to start as well. Um, and, and he's a left-handed option. So I, I, I just think Coleman has kind of started a little bit too late in this season for him to be like a real starting option, but I do think it's possible um, that they could use him as an opener, as you said. All right, so what is Edwards' um, uh, injury update situation? Tommy John, or what's his deal? Um, Right now, there continues to be no update, um, but if it turned into a Tommy John situation, it wouldn't shock me. So um, I I think the one bit of good news is that he injured his shoulder, not his shoulder, his his elbow on a changeup, and usually those don't turn into sort of Tommy John situations. But again, you never really know. And um, and I think the same similar sort of thinking goes for Chase Shores, even though we don't know what the pitch was that he got injured on. Um, and again, like those those aren't the only guys who are kind of on the injury report. I mentioned I mentioned they Ackenhausen already. Um, Brady Neal's currently out with an injury right now. He's kind of a TBD, even though apparently he was running this week or yesterday or the day before, and um, he's probably not going to be available this weekend, but that's still a pretty good sign, the fact that he's running, um, even though, again, we don't know exactly what that injury is either. Uh, Paxton Clinton's been dealing with a hamstring injury, and he's kind of TBD for this weekend, This weekend, but, he, again, he was taking batting practice um, the other day. So, again, this team is just dealing with a ton of injuries. And um, it's it, it is sort of tough life for them, given just how many guys are hurt, and that's not even including guys like Grant Taylor and Jaden Newt, um, guys who were hurt before the season, before they even played a game this season. So um, they were playing at a little bit of a deficit to start the year. Nothing crazy, nothing totally out of the ordinary. But once you add in Short, once you add in um, Ackenhausen, once you add in all these other guys and and Coleman, I guess, that before he came back to yesterday, of course, uh, that's when you're talking about a really, really thin bullpen. And that's why the Coleman, this latest Coleman development and, and really tracking his progress and seeing how good he looked last night was really important for this team moving forward. 
All right, so last night in that one inning, Trey Morgan lost two fly balls. And I asked Heath Hood, the Cajun center fielder, uh, you know, did he understand why that happened? And he said, yes. He said there, the sky was just rough. And he said there was periods every time he caught a fly ball where he, he couldn't see the ball. He lost it. So he was very relieved that he didn't have the result. Had that happened in any other midweek games playing about that time this year? Um, it, it's happened once so far for LSU this season, but I can speak from personal experience as a former outfielder that I have lost balls when the skies look like that. Um, and it's the worst feeling in the world. And there's honestly not a ton you can do about it. And, um, I, I personally, I thought Dylan Cruz lost the second fly ball and it wasn't Morgan who lost the second fly ball, but Morgan lost the first fly ball. And when that happened, I'm like, that makes a ton of sense. He's not an outfielder. Morgan's a first baseman by trade. Um, and if you haven't, ta- haven't taken a lot of fly balls in that sort of sky, um, in that sort of dark blue sky with some gray, um, which is just some you know, vague clouds you can see out there, and the ball can get lost in that very easily, especially if the lights in the stadium are high enough. And I think LSU's lights are high enough, but you know, if you hit a high, high enough of a fly ball and they get sort of out of that, you know, light stream, then it gets really tough to see it. And um, again, Morgan's an inexperienced outfielder and him missing, him not seeing that ball, it just made sense to me, you know, and um, it's the worst feeling in the world as an outfielder when that happens. And there's honestly not a ton you can do about it. Right, right. So, right. Um, that happened to him. And then when it happened to Cruz, I was a little bit more surprised because he's obviously a more experienced outfielder, but it didn't shock me either. So um, just a tough break for LSU. And uh, obviously, it, I don't think it, that was like the main reason why they lost. So, it, you know, other things, plenty of other things happened. I mean, the lack of offense they had last night, I think, was probably the driving reason as to why they lost. But um, anyway, like uh, those were just two. There was, those were still two very jarring plays for Elmas. All right, one more thing. Ole Miss, I mean, you know, we, we all know they had one of the wackiest seasons ever, but it doesn't look like it's training in that direction. How do you see this series? Yeah, um, I guess last year when we had this exact conversation about how Ole Miss was struggling, it looked like there, there was a good chance they were going to miss the tournament, all that sort of stuff, and they go on and win the College World Series. I mean, but this year, this year, I mean, with the way they've been playing conference play, I mean, I believe they only have two wins in conference play. It's really tough to see them being like a real team and making the tournament, um, let alone winning the whole entire uh, championship again. So, um, yeah, they still have a decent amount of the guys from last year's uh, title team. Um, offensively, they're still quite dangerous. Kemp Oldham in his 15 home runs this year, for for example. Um, but, I mean, their pitching has just been awful this year. I mean, 5.55 team ERA. Every starter they have is an ERA over five. Sounds like they're going to get Hunter Elliott back this weekend, which is pretty huge for them, but I don't know how much of a role he's going to have. I don't know. Um, plus, that was a, that's a UCL injury. It was a sprained UCL, and um, it's it's come back, I believe it's been six or seven weeks since he sprained it. So it's, I guess, I guess it is huge that they're getting him back. But at the same time, like the rest of the staff just has not lived up to to what um, they thought it would be heading into this year. Uh, they have a couple of decent relievers. They've got like Braden Jones, a guy like Cole Ketchum, both of the RAs uh, at or below three. 
Um, but that's really about it in terms of their pitching, and uh, I think that's the thing that's probably going to sink them against an LSU team that, granted, they had an off night last night against UL, but it sounds like, at least from Gene Johnson, you'll know that you'd know this better, that UL kind of, UL definitely did push their chips into the table more aggressively in this game as a, for a midweek game uh, because they were playing a team like LSU as they should. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, I, I guess I am sort of curious to, from your perspective then, I, not to shift all the way back to UL again. Um, how, how good do you think this UL team is? Do you think, they, do you think this team has a real shot of making an, an at-large bid for the tournament? Yeah, well, I think last night was critical because they had lost some games that they probably shouldn't have lost. And, and so this gives them an, a, a more of a chance. Like it got a, they, they, they jumped 13, 14 spots in the RPI, and they still have Southern Miss and Coastal to play, and those are top 20 RPI teams. So it gives them a chance to get into the at-large argument. And then last year, you know, they ended up winning the conference tournament, which they're capable of doing this year. They still got some some things to, to, to get better at. They got to get their starting shortstop back because he's the emotional leader of the team and he's been out about three weeks. And so hopefully he comes back and their best relief pitcher arm has been out for about a month and they need to get him back. But yeah, I think it, it puts them in position to maybe get that. So that was the significance of last night's game. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and the more they win, the more they win, the less it looks bad for LSU. So I, I guess that's sort of a good thing on for Yeah, like, I mean, it, you know, for them. It, yeah, and LSU doesn't have to worry about RPI. But anyway, I appreciate it. was great seeing you <laughs> last night. I appreciate your time as always. Thank you very much, sir. Awesome. Thanks again for having me on, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnote, Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. This segment and the next is the best time to get in. If you want to discuss ULSU baseball in any way, or we talked about a little bit, McNeese upset of LSU in softball, the Cajun softball team, and we'll be talking to Coach Glasgow in about an hour Nothing, nothing until the sixth inning last night against the Southeastern team that we talked about had 37 wins, stole a lot of bases, but was not, as as Bobby told you yesterday, not a great defensive team. So you kind of, look, I've been saying I, 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 I was more worried about the Cajuns offense than sued by the Cajuns offense unlike a lot of people by in the Texas State sweep, I didn't think they swung the bats at all. I think they were very fortunate a couple times, and Texas State played terrible defense and, and the rest of the time. And I didn't think they, uh, it was like, that was not a good weekend from what I saw offensively. And for a lot of the game yesterday, it wasn't, but then they scored seven runs in the sixth inning. Of course, part of that was Maya Davis hitting a home run, which who knows when that's going to happen again. But, I mean, you, 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 you take – what you can get, and again, we'll talk about that. Still, on paper, it's a seven nothing win. You take the win, and 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 you move forward. The other thing about that is, and again, I was in Baton Rouge. I didn't see the game. 
Um, obviously, the pitching was still pretty good. <laughs> they didn't give up a run. And the pitching's been very good of late. So, um, and Victoria Valdez even hit a home run. So that was good um, to, to, to see that result. Any uh, Again, any other thing? NBA last night, I missed most of it. I caught a little bit of like the post game when I got home because I didn't get, you know, I don't know. It was just about just shy of midnight when I got home. So it was um, it was chalk last night. Like when, when two good teams play and they're about even like we talked about yesterday and one of them wins the first game, well – you normally the the home team's going to win the second game. And that happened with the Cavaliers. And, and I don't know how even anybody thought the Clippers-Sun series was going to be. But it happened in that one as well. And, and nobody thinks the Hawks are going to take, you know, the Celtics. I mean, I think most people think it'll be it, – even if they win one game, it will surprise some. So nothing unusual uh, last night at all in the NBA for sure. Um Astros did not win. I was, you know, seems like every time I go to, uh, you know, whether it's Iowa State or Florida State or even last night, I mean, the hospitality was fine, but I couldn't get my the, the internet to work. Like, I could never get the Astros game to update. It was driving me crazy all night. And also, it's, you know, the Astros didn't help by, like, never scoring any runs until the eighth inning. And, Lost four to two, and guess who got an RBI single last night? Espinal, like this cat, he just the Astros cannot get him out. I don't even know his first name. It's it's a it's an unusual first name, but Espinal. I don't know why in the world the Blue Jays didn't start him on on Monday. I'm glad they didn't. Of course, he came off the bench, like I said, and hit a a ball 800 feet as a pinch hitter. Hey, Foot, remember this is a hammock season. I agree it's a hammock season. but And my wife tells me that all the time. She's like, what are you, what are you worried about? It's a hammock season. But it drives me crazy, whether it's hammock season or not, If you, when you let one guy or one team just beat you over and over, like, it seems like you should be able to figure out, like, Vladimir hitting a home run last night. I mean, I don't like when a team, anybody ever hits a home run against the Astros. But that's understandable. Like, he hasn't hit a home run in a while. The Astros got him out on Monday. That's just baseball. He's a great player. He hit a home run. I mean, but but a guy like Espinal or like over the year, like on, on, on MLB, Chris Young is there. The Astros could never get that guy out. And he's he was an okay player, but it wasn't like he was some super fantabulous player. And that guy just torched the Astros. His whole career is like, enough with that guy. Scott Posednik, he was an okay player. He was an above-average player. But he just, just destroyed the Astros. Like, why can't? It just drives me crazy when one person, like, just get this guy out. This guy, Espinal. Boy, I'm glad. I hope he never comes to the American League uh, West. Espinal. They can't get him out. Espinal. I never heard of that guy till last year. It's going to be okay. It really is. I, you know, Enough with that guy. Boy, I, hope he, I hope the manager's stupid and he don't play today. Well... I mean, it's possible. It's getaway day. Um, 
Or are they playing? It's, is it four games or is it, are they? No, it's three games. Yeah, They're so all getaway then. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I, it's 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 tough too because it's just it's funny too how small the margins in baseball are at times because like it's we talk about how the Angels always have their best two players and still don't win games. Like the Astros are missing two guys, but it feels like they're right at the at the point where if they had a couple other guys in the lineup, they'd be winning a lot more games. So that's the only frustrating thing about it at this point. But um, I guess that kind of shows you how awful the Angels' management system really has been, that they've been that far off where even when they have those like difference makers, they still can't win games. Shohei hit a homer in his first at-bat at Yankee Stadium yesterday, by the way. Just continues to that try to carry That was his them. first? Or, or his first at-bat of the, of the year at Yankee Stadium. Oh, okay. Sorry, my yeah. bad. But, um, and yeah. I saw the little MVPs beat the Yankees. Yeah, they, well, they tried to blow it. They walked in runs in the, in the middle innings there. They tried to blow, but they did hang on, yes. Um, yeah, so that, that was a good win. And the Astros scored two runs off of Yemi. I, I never – the whole Yemi, the way he was used and all that when he came to Houston, it was. I always thought that was kind of weird, the, the, the whole Yemi experiment, because I never thought they kind of used him the way that, you know, you would think. Now – I guess even though it's not an afternoon game, it is a getaway day. And the the thing that worries me about that is the Piper might be getting angry because the Astros have won 20 straight getaway day games. Now, hopefully the Piper is um, not really paying attention to that because that's not like an everyday stat, you know. So hopefully I shouldn't have mentioned it. Maybe the Piper's not listening. Hope he's not listening. Because it'd, it'd be nice to win this series going to Atlanta. Because Atlanta, although I like the fact Atlanta's won like eight in a row, I think now. I, I like playing teams that are red hot because um, the Piper will be on my side. We'll see how that works out. I just want to win. Just avoid the sweep. That's all I want. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 if you would like to get in. And we will be, um, again, uh, obviously a lot of talk around Lafayette today. is going to be UL's upset of LSU last night in baseball. So if you have any thoughts from that, from either perspective, certainly feel free uh, to call and again the Cajun softball team won both teams they were both at home this past weekend they're both going to be on the road and the Cajun baseball team is heading to James Madison which is kind of the great unknown you don't know a whole lot about them Cajun softball is going to Troy which they know a lot about and and I kind of think Troy's probably a little better than Texas State but maybe not. You know, they're we'll probably say, yeah. about the same. You know, I wanted to go back to the game, the baseball game for a minute just because 
That play C.J. Willis made, the dive to his right and then got up and threw it the first, I thought that was one of the best plays I've seen all season. Like, I don't know if it got, and the way the broadcast. I mean, You're talking he, about the second one. The, 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 I think the first one, when he dove to his right, got up and threw him out at first. There was nobody on base. Yeah, I thought the second one was even the, better than well, the first one. The thing made. about the first one was that the dive to get to the ball in the first place, but then, like, I don't know how many – Sometimes when it when a guy makes it look easy, you don't sit there and realize like he's in a position when he catches that ball to where it's still an unbelievably difficult play, and he popped up and just threw a bullet to first. I thought that, and a guy again, it's crazy thing about C.J. Willis is he's not he's not an everyday second baseman. He plays everywhere, right? So for him to still be a plus defender, which I think he's kind of turned himself into a plus defender. I don't remember him being as good defensively when he first got here a couple of years ago, but. I mean that was a that was a big play because again, like the thing against playing LSU free base any free base runners you give them oh, there's yeah. always a chance they're going to hit a two or three run homer and so I thought that the defense like I you're you know you're, our little rejoin where you talk about catching the ball I thought you all did an unbelievable job catching the ball and again like Christie had what one strikeout so they had to catch the ball all night and they did I thought that yeah. was big uh, no I thought they played great defensively offensively they hit the ball well now they didn't always execute. Uh, they left runners on second and third with their arguably, you know, three and four spots up. And and there was another one where they tried a double a steal and ran into a double play. So they left some runners on out there. It wasn't like they played a perfect offensive game. They kind of wasted a few opportunities. Uh, C.J. Willis didn't get a bunt down. All he's got to do is get it down and you get another one. That was another wasted opportunity. So their execution on offense was not great, although they swung the bat really well. No, 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 no arguing that at all. But, um, but no, again, sometimes it's it's what Coach Degg talked about the whole offseason. You got to stop giving people stuff because when you walk and hit batters, the game, part of what we talk about, the piper in the game is in baseball, you can hit the ball right. Like, uh, who was it? Was it in the ninth? Or eighth, might have been Cruz, hit a ball right on the nose, but right at the center fielder. I mean, that's baseball. And in other sports, when you execute that well at your primary function, you normally are rewarded. And in baseball, you're not. But if you walk people, then you limit the chance that baseball is going to help you. And you got to give the game a chance to help you. And I thought that's what Christie did so fantastic. you know, such a fantastic way last night is, yeah, he only struck out that one batter, but he he just, as Coach Deggs talked about it, he 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 controlled his fastball, he competed, he threw strikes, and the and the umpire strike zone I thought was fairly tight last night from where I could see. I, I don't always, I rarely have it, a good vantage view, it but was, it was it was very it tight. seemed tight last night, and it was pretty consistent. I thought. And um, even Coach Dex commented about that after the game that, you know, that he had a tight strike zone, but it was pretty – it was a consistent one. And 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 he threw – he kept throwing strikes. I mean, he walked a few, he walked four batters, but, you know, sometimes that is can really bite you. But he was able to pitch around it, and he seemed to walk the right guy a few times. You know, like Dylan Cruz, I, I didn't get a chance to – I um, I mean, I listen to LSU more than I actually watch them. And so I don't all – I don't really know, you know, like, you know, fans like Manny know about what they're doing, kind of like I know about the Cajuns. Um, 
Cruz has walked a ton this year. I'm like, his walk stats are sick. But like last night, and the Cajuns walked him three times last night, but two of those at-bats, I mean, he easily could have swung. They were balls right off the plate, but his eye is obviously real good. And plus, I'm sure he knows that people are kind of pitching around him, although I don't know how good of an idea it is to pitch around him because of the guys that are hitting right behind him. I mean, you know, White's got 62 RBIs. I mean, that's that's crazy. So I don't know how good of an idea that is. Um, but, but no, uh, you got to throw strikes and give yourself a chance. And he did that last night. I, you know, I think more of the people were happier for Christie because he had such a rough week last week in his two outings um, than anything. And, again, he gave up three hits in six innings. I just don't think that happens all that often at LSU. Well, in six innings, you only give up three hits. I mean, I'm sure it's happened because they, they've had some good starts against them. But that's um, that was that was pretty impressive. I thought, no question, very impressive. And you gotta let baseball help you. And he did last night, and it did, and it was certainly a meaningful win for the Cajuns. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Samacast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. Again, obviously we've been talking a lot about the Cajuns upset victory over LSU last night. We talked some about McNeese <clears throat> beating LSU um, in softball and what that could mean in the big picture RPI-wise and tried to give a little perspective and on the Cajuns win. Any thoughts you have on any of that, certainly feel free to call. And I know the circumstances were not exactly, but the um, – and, you know, they weren't identical performances or anything. But David Christie's performance last night kind of reminds you of the one Cooper Rawls gave in Ruston last year. Now, when Cooper entered the game, if I remember, the Cajuns were quite a bit behind. And they came back to win, I want to say, 8-6. to six. Maybe they were down 5-1, to one, and they came back and won 8-6, if I remember correctly. But... It was some close to that, but it was an extended relief appearance that, um, and really Cooper's been pretty good since then. So the coaches have always said that David Christie's got great stuff. It's just a matter, and at times he's pitched very well, and at times he hadn't. Uh, and that if he, you know, he put it together, he could be that kind of pitcher that they saw last night. And, um, you know, it was, you know, again, certainly a needed performance it opened the door that was kind of most people would kind of thought was shut but maybe it wasn't slam shut and now if they can get healthy and get their best players playing to their potential which hasn't happened all most for a lot of the season 
then, um, you know, they have a chance to really open that door. We'll see what happens. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Oh, hell you well. What a great day. Wait, let me correct that. What a glorious day it is to be a Cajun fan this morning. Oh, I would think think? Cajun fans are very happy. Yes, sir. You know, I mean, uh, but anyway, that's not the reason I called in. Checked on the delusion this morning. No, you know, I I would hope he's not so delusional that he thought that his Knicks were going to win both games in Cleveland. I mean, (laughs) you think he's that delusional? Uh, if he's not on his medication, then probably so. You know, <laughs> I gotta agree. I gotta agree with what Ron is saying about them Knicks, man. They just taking up space in the playoffs. They win one game, you know, uh, and, and that's it. They, they they fall short. This ain't the next year, you know. Not only did the Knicks lose last night, but the, the Yankees lost to the little MVPs. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, not good. Uh, uh, I, 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 I let him know about that, and he was like, oh, it's too early to be talking baseball. I said, Paul, let's, hold up. Let, let us, let, let's slam the brakes. Let's back, back, back the clock up for a few minutes. Last year at this time, you were ready to crown him a World Series champion. You know? I was like, let, let, let's hold the, the brakes. I know you're a Yankees fan. Just because you're Knicks in the playoffs, which they're going to choke, like they always do. Doesn't mean that, that you're not worried about the Yankees. I know you you bleed that Yankee, that other Yankee blue or black or whatever it is that they bleed because I don't even know their colors anymore. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, uh, but yeah, that's all I re- pretty much have to say. And uh, go Red Sox, go Astros. All right, take care. <laughs> Well, I will say if there's one thing is he said any more. There's one thing about the Yankees; they haven't changed anything about their colors or uniforms. I will say that. No, but but it but, is a confusing. What is it like a? It's like a navy blue kind of, but it's yeah. But one of the th- and I always thought it looked great, but they have their logo has a lot of red in it, and, and and really that's not part of their colors. But that Yankees logo, oh yeah, and they don't use it has red. They've in been it. using that logo less and less over the years, huh? I don't know. I mean, I remember it from the, you know, I've always seen it, yeah. but man, and I don't, as far as their usage, I, I don't, I, I guess know. I hadn't paid attention, but I always thought it was interesting because, yeah, the, their colors are not, um, no, I are not red, but I, um, totally respect the fact that they don't change their uniforms. And I, again, uh, I think it's embarrassing to have an organization like the Lakers and you got a black uniform. That's just terrible. I mean, you cannot change. And it's not just the black. They have other these. When you are, you know, and the Celtics do the same thing. If you're the Celtics or the Lakers, you can't change your uniform. Or the Yankees or the Dodgers. The Packers are kind of in that conversation. Yeah, you cannot change your uniform. That's just awful. Yeah, I, I don't mind the black Lakers uniform because <coughs> at least it's purple and gold accents on it. What I can't stand now is these Connect uniforms. Like some of them are okay, but when we just gonna we're just gonna ignore the team's color scheme and a team that's black and red is gonna have orange and purple uniforms for one game a week and then you turn the TV and I and it's it happened in the NBA a couple times this year and I don't obviously it's not that hard for me to figure out who it is but like you turn the TV on and, and I've got no idea yeah who's you really playing. don't know but again if it's if it's if it's the Utah Jazz doing it who cares they're the Utah Jazz like. If you're the Celtics and the Lakers, you cannot change your uniform. That is inexcusably awful. Well, 
the interesting thing for me now is because, of, of course, we've seen the sponsor patches in the MLB and the Astros. I'm not a huge fan of the Astros, especially the how big it is, the, the big patch on the sleeve. The Oxy. What, yeah. yeah, they have that. But whatever. But I remember a lot of Yankees fans, when they went to Nike, they kind of freaked out that they were going to put a Nike check on the pinstripe uniforms. They were like, oh, it's pinstripe. You don't put anything on it. Imagine if the Yankees, which I'd imagine they'll be the last or close to the last to do it, but imagine if the Yankees put a sponsor on the on the sleeve of the pinstripes. You're going to yeah. have a lot of Yankees fans and, and just baseball fans in general very upset if that ends up happening, which you'd imagine it's going to eventually if the money's there. I mean, they like making money. So While we're on traditions and baseball, have you heard the latest crazy concept that they're experimenting with in the minor leagues like this is going too far well i mean they're trying to make the major leagues college softball yes that is awful in case in case anyone isn't familiar supposedly major league baseball is experimenting in the minor leagues with the idea of having a designated pinch runner and 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 something like that it's strange i don't think it's actually going to happen i don't know why they do this experimentation like there's some like startup league that hasn't been around ever the one, and I don't know if you remember this one that that I that was gaining traction for a little bit that I thought was completely ridiculous, was the idea that they were going to make it to where in the ninth inning you could choose which it didn't matter where you were in the lineup you could just choose the three batters that went out to start the oh, inning. Oh, that's terrible! And like it was, you know, of course they they were painting it as like, I well, you know, think about this in football. It's always the biggest stars. The quarterback has the ball in basketball. It's whoever has the ball. We need our biggest stars. And I'm like, that is completely. You talk about changing the game, and I'm okay with changing some rules to make the game better. You talk about completely fundamentally changing the entire landscape of how the game of baseball was constructed. The whole point is the beauty in it is that sometimes you go up in the biggest spot and it's the eight-hole hitter who's hitting 210 and you got you need a big knock. And sometimes yeah. he comes through. And, like, you navigate. So, anyway, that one, I no, haven't heard that. that in a while, but that one was the one where I was like, I, you talk about... I'm a fan, and usually wherever they change, I'm still going to be a fan. Like I, I think that would have actually made me fundamentally start considering my fandom of the major leagues if they had changed that. That, but that, they didn't, that, so. that is that is just awful. And look, don't misconstrue my comment. I enjoy covering college softball. I enjoy college softball, but they have got to change the rules. Like it, it just makes it too little leagueish. Like the the sport has come too far. Like I understand a lot of people didn't really respect college softball in the '80s and '90s. But the sport has come too far. It's too like these girls are good. Like, they're, why do they playing with little league rules? I, I, I just I, they have got to change the college softball rules. And this idea that we're basically going to have courtesy runners in the major leagues that better not that better never happen. That is awful. And it doesn't. I don't even under. You could have made a case for it when pitchers were still hitting. And, and spun it about an injury thing where if a pitcher gets on base, you want the pitch, the runner for the pitcher. I still wouldn't have been a fan of it, but you could have spun it that way. But now that we've got the universal DH, what does it matter? There's no – well, you the, get on base, you run the bases. The like, other rule that they're experiencing with in the South Atlantic League is this DH rule. Did you hear that one? That one makes zero sense to me unless they're trying to increase the amount of workload for pitchers. Basically, the rule says – Yeah, I did see that. <coughs> If your starting pitcher doesn't go five innings, then you lose the DH. Which, like, I just don't understand. Where does that come? Like, what's the motivation there? <laughs> I, I guess I – well, again, I do I think, guess they're trying to make starting pitchers go more than five innings. I have – I, I hate five-inning starting pitchers. But. I have – I've actually listened to a podcast recently where they had some ML, an, an MLB executive uh, – it was actually Theo Epstein, I think, was talking about, you know, the next – 
step in what the, they've done a lot of things they wanted to do, shorting the game stuff. The next step is trying to get it back with pitchers extending outings and stuff. So I understand the thought process behind it. But, like, again, yeah, you you can't fundamentally change the construction of the game to try to get one little outcome yeah. to be different. And so, yeah, no, that stuff, I mean, what – what kind of scenarios would that create, too? I mean, that's ridiculous. You're going to have. Again, they're trying to get the game back. I think some people still miss this. They're trying to get the game back to where it was. They're not. But you can't change, like, to Dawson's point, the fundamental construction of the game to try to get the game back to where it was. I don't know how else to do it, but. Um, and And I don't, you know, the fact that. There aren't going to be any more 300-game winners. I, I don't know that that changes the game that fundamentally. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that's a good goal. I don't think that's a good goal at all. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Well, um, I wanted to call you before the season started, but, you know, we're a few games into it. But I wanted to tell you what my concern was with the Yanks. Okay. So I'm watching – so I'm watching one of the early games against Cleveland and getting ready to go to commercial break. It's about the seventh inning. And they always tell you the next three batters coming up. The next up for the Yankees is going to be Willie Calhoun, Jose Trevino, and Francie Cardero. <laughs> now, wait, wait, Kevin. That's not seven, eight, and nine. That was five, six, and seven. But Francie Cardero's actually done pretty well. That's the worst lineup the Yankees have had in the last probably 20 years. Yeah. Franchi Cordero's actually done pretty well, though. Uh, okay, I'll call you back in another month. We'll talk about Franchi Cordero. <laughs> okay, that's you a know? fair point. That's fair. <laughs> All right, Kev, you have a good day. You too, thanks. No, look, I, you know, man, if I, if I was a Yankee fan, my number one concern would be the bullpen. Like, Man, they the closer has not pitched well at all, and I, you know, three and four years ago, I was picking the Yankees, and the number re- main reason why I picked them is back then their bullpen was awesome. I, it's very difficult to go to the World Series and win the World Series without a really good bullpen, and uh, I don't know, I, that would be not my number one concern. Look in the park that they play in. And the division they play in, they're gonna score runs. Even even with you know to Larry's point, some guys in the lineup that maybe aren't as good as the you know they're not exactly Bronx Bombers. I get that, but you're gonna score runs. But you gotta be able to you gotta you gotta have a bullpen. It it, it is <clears throat> it is really tough to not have a bullpen. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. 
seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10 and 6, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13 to 12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness, ineptness, or cheating, or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, talk ULLSU baseball, uh, McNeese LSU softball, big upsets last night could be huge RPI games for those two programs moving forward if they take care of business between now and then. And again, like we mentioned a little less than an hour ago, does it make games any easier? Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that it makes it any tougher. Maybe perception. Oh, you know, better watch out. They beat LSU. But, it you know, Sunbelt games don't become any easier because you beat LSU. It has n- The two have nothing to do with each other, really. I mean, Sunbelt conference games, just like we always talk about division games, the professional sports Totally different animals. Totally different. I hear misanalysis about division games all the time. Conference games are, are just, and division games are just different. They just are. It's a different dynamic. Um, so, any thoughts you have on that? Certainly feel free to call. Again, in, night in NBA playoffs, kind of what we thought. Not a not a biggie. Um and the only problem, I mean, the Astros lost last night. The only problem there is they, they might have had a few more injuries or I don't think anything's long-term. But, <clears throat> again, I was in Baton Rouge, but apparently El Perro sprained his ankle after an RBI single, and Icky clanged the ball off his knee. So if they don't play today, oh, man, it's going to be tough to extend that getaway day streak the Astros got going. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Kevin. Yes, sir. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to do my job, so let's quickly go through the baseball game. Listen, I, you know I'm not, you know, my my background. Uh, graduate of the University of USL, UL, and been a lifelong LSU baseball fan. So I know that's a, a, a an oxymoron in this part of the country. But it's out the LSU, I pull for UL immediately and. My first thought was, hey, if you're going to lose a midweek game, that's who you lose to. It's going to help you out. More than likely not hurting LSU. And, you know, I immediately thought Coleman's a big plus. And yes. the same concerns that they've been having. Well, she's banged up. You have to do guys out. As is, as is UL. You know, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's not football. Can't have football mentality. Okay, so just want to get that out of the way. Okay, so I'm doing my job yesterday. I'm listening to the Locked On Saints podcast, Kevin. Now, that's a big step for me. 
that your boy Luke Jackson, I think it is. That who uh, you, uh, you ever? We're gonna have Luke on tomorrow. Is the plan? Yeah. Well, he he's a he's a big time uh, Maisie Mazzy, uh, uh Michigan guy. <laughs> right. He's a big time. He thinks that's the pick. That's his pick. Now he's gonna talk today about. Uh, what is the Saints Alliance? Because he says, well, you know, they 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 seem to be heading in that direction. All reports that he has from his inside people. Today's podcast is what are they lying? Where they, what direction would they go in if they're lying? Now, I looked at these freaks that you know they might delve into the freak, you know, athlete situation. The Van Ness, Lucas Van Ness. Yeah. One guy I thought, but nah, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's going to be there. I think it, it, all the indications that I've seen is that he's going to be 16, 17, 18, you know, before 20. Right. Then our boy, then our boy, I wrote his name down, you know, uh, the one we can't pronounce. He's also pretty freakish, but uh, I, I just You down know. on him, too? I don't know. Not, yeah. I mean, he's ran fast, Kevin. He's freaking fast as heck. And, uh, you know, so uh, you know they they could go him. But he'll he'll be there. I think. I mean, he's going to be there at twenty nine. Just don't know what they're thinking. Is our boy Branch? Everything I'm seeing, I don't think he's going to be there at twenty nine. Yeah, you know? I'm really worried about Jacksonville. A couple spots ahead of him. All right, so I got to get to another call. But tell me right now, what would be your prediction? Are we eight days off? What would be your prediction? And what do you think they're? And what do you hope they do? I think they're going to go with the big defensive tackle, but which me, one? I don't. Uh, I, I I would go. I think you get some, get him or somebody just as good as him at forty. So I hope they go edge guy. I love the Van Ness. Don't think he'll be there. Or you know, some people still throwing the Georgia guy, the, the which I don't think that's their type, but. <laughs> Uh, and I, I'm still up in there, Kevin. I got to do more work. I want to hear the podcast today about uh, whether or not what, what are they lying. So right, no, we'll that's good. And again, we, we we plan on having Luke tomorrow, so we'll see what Luke thinks tomorrow. All right, Kev. All Thank right. You. Thank you, sir. Let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Floyd. Floyd. One thing I forgot to bring up. I seen. Why, why, why the NBA suspended Draymond and they didn't do nothing to Sabonis when Sabonis uh, was the one that, that started the situation? Well, I think, I don't know, somehow stomping somebody is more potentially painful than, like, grabbing a leg or uh, more I mean, more injury, they, they more dangerous. Oh, okay. I mean, but I think they should have been both suspended. I mean... I mean, he's the one. If Draymond wouldn't have stomped on, maybe he wouldn't have put the ankle lock on a uh, on 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 uh, Draymond. You know. I, I think I think the multi-time defender thing kind of plays into that too. Uh, like he's done this stuff multiple times over the years. Like if it was if he had never done anything and he was an angel, he might not have got suspended. But when you become a multi-time offender, it's like man, we got we we can't this guy we can't let him get too out of hand. Draymond is an angel, man. He's good for the game, man. I mean, they, stop on, they, need, to, they need to stop picking on my guy, Draymond. Stop picking on, uh, a little bit more on, on that um, LeBron James, you know? Okay. Golden girl. And I got I to I remind Paul one thing, too. Julius Randle, he was a Laker before he was a, he was a Nick, the Golden Girl. 
have a good one. All right. No, look, I, I, I get part of his point, but, you know, it's the old, you know, you reap what you sow thing. I mean, look, I think Draymond's funny a lot of times, and and I really like the way he does interviews because he's pretty honest. But, but, but no, I mean, you, you, you reap what you sow. Yeah, I thought the most ridiculous comment, I already brought this up on RP3, but I thought the most ridiculous thing about the whole situation was Clay Thompson's comment where he said, well, what do you want him to do when somebody grabs your ankle? And I was like, there's a lot of different options other than stomping on the guy's chest. Like, I think there's quite a few different ways you could have gone about it besides stomping. Well, he could have, that's a scenario where if you want to do kind of a flop and build it up and act, you can act and it all goes against Sabonis and none of it goes against you. And, like, I mean, even if you wait till Sabonis is up and, I mean, kind of getting in his face. And, of course, like in the NBA, usually you have those scrums and nobody ever – everybody just separates each other afterwards and nothing happens. But, like, I, th- I-, I think for Clay to act like it was like, well, what else was he going to do? Like, I don't know. There was a lot of other things he could have done. So I just didn't – I didn't understand that. Again, comment. it's – You're taking up for your guy. I it's get it, Draymond. But. I mean, it, you know, again, like, like they say, it's Draymond being Draymond. All right. Uh, so we were talking a little football when Manny called about the draft, and Manny don't Manny doesn't sound like he likes our guy. I mean, I don't know about Maisie. I don't know, um, but I get. I heard on a way to Baton Rouge yesterday some majority show, and or maybe it was on the way over here. Anyway, at some and he was talking to Bob Rose, and he was high on Smith. And he talked about how he's just a run stopper. I still think Macy Smith's going to be a second round pick. I could be wrong. You know, he's in that end of the first, big top of the second kind of guy. And look, if they pick Smith, I'm not going to be, you know, jump off a cliff or anything, but he is a Michigan guy. I'm not a Michigan guys. Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State. Uh, my, my first suggestion stay away from those guys. But. But Manny's down on Aditamawa Adabare. I don't. I don't know why he's so down on him, but he sounds down. That on was him. your smoothest pronunciation yet. I mean, we're getting. Right I'm getting on. better. Oh yeah, and I hope I'm right. I don't know that I'm right, but I think I'm close. Yeah, I don't know that you're right either, but I think you're very. We're going to go with it, right? Uh, but but speaking of football, I don't know where I was, but there was a fairly recent football acquisition that never registered with me and I and I saw it by accident this morning. Did it register with you that Irv Smith signed with the Bengals? You know, it's I heard I, it. I, I don't I you don't know, know I that this, I knew I didn't know that. I have this bad habit and it's it's probably the worst in baseball. It happened with 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 baseball this year for me where I hear about these signings and I make mental notes of them and then it kind of gets out of your head. And then I go to fantasy baseball or fantasy football, and I'm thinking, and I'm looking at players, and I'm going, wait a minute. And that's probably what would have happened. I'd have probably sat there and saw Irv, you know, in, in, in the summer when I started doing my research. Yeah, would have said Irv Smith with the, with the Cincinnati logo next to him and gone, wait a minute. Oh yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, no, I didn't. But but I don't I don't that I don't know. I mean, again, it might have been. I wonder if it was like when I was going to Orlando, or I mean, there was a couple days there where I was real busy and didn't really pay attention to the national scene, but. About two or three weeks ago, whenever, he signed with the Bengals. And so a lot of people have the Bengals draft mocked a, t- a tight end in their mock drafts, including me. If you sign Irv Smith, who I think has the potential to be a really good, you know, he's already done, had moments. Um, 
I don't think they're drafting a tight end in the first round. Well, they yeah, unless they're going the uh, New England route. I think that increases them. the chances. And, and Although I think Jacksonville is the one that I'm really worried about. But I think that would increase the chances that the Bengals may even trade up to get Brian Branch. Like, I think yeah. they need they, they well, lost two safeties. I'll tell you what, my mock draft 3.0 is going to come out, I think, later today. And I'll give you a sneak peek. I went different. It wasn't like my favorite mock draft ever, but I went different on purpose, and I went Michael Mayer in the first round because he was there, and I wanted for the Bengals. No, for the Saints. Oh, I wanted to kind of see what the draft would look like if the Saints took him, and I still do believe in the talent. I know tight ends. I agree with you. Tight ends in the first round are generally because they take time to develop, and you can use. But I I took Michael Mayer, and then the rest of my draft I thought shaked out well. So you'll have to check that out on our YouTube channel later on, but. I, I, I would not be opposed to it if he if he's at 29. I really wouldn't. I'm convincing myself, like, again, um, you know, early on, can't see I was all open to, and now I'm like, I don't think I want him. I don't think I want can't see either anymore. I, and, I, and I, I mean, I would have entertained a tight end a month ago, but, again, the more I look at it and you think about the history of the position, I just – you know, I've seen arguments made, and I kind of agree with them. I mean – Tight end might even be a longer shot than quarterback. I mean, it, it's just so much room. And edge rushers have always scared me. So I understand they need an edge rusher, but they just scare me in terms of their bust ability. That's why you just you, – it's just so much harder to go wrong with linemen, especially offensive linemen, to Gerald's point yesterday. But, again, unless – I just don't think they're going to draft an offensive tackle because they drafted one last year. But I, but if they picked Osiris Torrance, it would not it would make sense, and especially since they know what they're doing with Pete and we don't. If they don't see Pete as their long term, then picking a guard probably makes more sense than any of us are, are saying. All right, no, I say no to tight end. You better be wrong there. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is footnotes live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. How are you, sir? Doing great. Well, coach, I was in Baton Rouge watching the Cajuns upset LSU last night, which was obviously a great win for their program. And when I looked back and uh, saw the line score of your game, I said, boy, that's an interesting line score. Zero, 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 then seven. Yeah, let's talk about that baseball game for a second. How cool was that? Like that was real. As soon as the game was over, I went straight to my radio and got it on and got to listen to that. And Cooper Rawls, you know, strikes out the side there, mixed around a couple of little things, but he's been so good for the Cajuns, and that's a huge win. That's got to be a, a win that you can really build off of and finish the season with. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, so yeah, you know, I'm you excited about that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, RPIs. I mean, that was a 14 spot leap in the RPI, and they still have two teams in the conference that are in the top 20 in the RPI left to play. So it opens up all kind of opportunities. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, they get on a roll there and they take care of business at, at, at Coastal and the spots they got left. It could be, it could be, get way, they can go way up. There's not a lot of difference between 40 and 60. I think that moved into 60. Those, those 20, 25 spots ahead of them are real close together. And as their win, their one loss record improves and then they, they can take advantage of that remaining games on the schedule is exciting. But, but the main thing that just shows you, you go on the road to the number one team in the country and you win. Your kids know now they can play with anybody. It's not how good you are. It's how good you play that night, each individual night. And they played so good last night. And so that's a big thing for them to, to know that and, and to have that experience to fall back on. Like when we play our best, we can beat the number one team in the country on the road. That's just huge. That's huge. Good day to be a Raging Cajun. So likewise, I think on our game, it was a weird game. It was like the first inning already. I think it was, I think it was the first inning hit a shot down the right field line and they, they made a shoestring catch. It just seemed like for four innings, everything went wrong. You know, <laughs> that could go wrong. I put a hit and run on. Lauren already hits a, a good – I mean, uh, Lady Crater hits a hard line drive up the middle, but it's exactly over the second base bag. And because we got the hit and run on, we got second base and shortstop both there and a catch it double play. Next time up, I'm dying to hit and run. No, I can't hit and run here. I don't want to hit and run. Hits a hard ground ball up the middle, double play. And it just – everything went wrong, you know. Um, it, it just, sometimes the game goes like that. But the good part for our team was – that in one inning we put together, you know, we we got it going and scored seven, and and that was that's huge. It's the same thing as the baseball team. Like we have that experience to fall back on. Like when things get bad and we're frustrated, don't just stay cool. Just keep battling, keep battling, because you know your talent's going to overtake the opponent at some point. And that's what happened last night. You know, Maya Davis went up. I I told her I said everybody in the ballpark thinks you're going to bunt. You know, one of my coaches said. Quit bunting for a hit, sacrifice bunt. Well, I just like, you know, everybody thinks we're going to bunt, so let's just swing and hit. And then you get a double, and you're setting a second and third, what I was hoping for. And uh, I told her, I said, if you swing, swing hard. Don't try to hit, get a hit. Try to hit over their heads. And I wasn't counting on a home run, but I know she's got ama- she's got amazing home run power. But I was really hoping for a double there, and then, for her to hit that home run, and then you could see what it did to the rest of our ball club. I mean, it just it fired them up, and then it was over. That 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 is unbelievable. Well, That's the flip right. side of that, coach, is the other team scored zero, and your pitching has been outstanding. And it, apparently, it was again last night. Yeah, we got a great staff. I mean, it's taken years uh, of recruiting to get enormous talent in our bullpen, and. And we're and we're really pitching. Justin's done a tremendous job with our pitching staff this year, and and they're they're peaking at the right time. They've really peaked here the second half, and uh, I think they I've still got room to get even better. Um, Shawman's just uh, and she's an elitely talented pitcher, as is Kendra Lamb, and <clears throat> they were both on last night, and it was really good. And you know, it takes so much pressure off the offense because you just. You feel like, yeah, we didn't score, but they'll hold them. Just keep holding them. Just keep holding them, and and they did a they did a great job as they have done for the last. Well, they've done been good all season, but they've been at a whole nother level. I think the last ten games. All right, so we've talked a lot about Texas State because they had some really nice wins earlier this year, but now that that's behind you and you're going to Troy this weekend, I'm not so sure Troy isn't just as good or maybe a hair better in Texas State. What do you, what do you see in Troy? 
Yeah, a similar type ball club. They've got a really good pitcher. I think the one thing in common, Troy and South Al and Texas State have, they have elite arms. And Leanne Johnson is a really elite-level pitcher. When she's, when she's on her game, she's hard to beat. And she can very much be the same type of performance like Schwarman last night. Now, historically, I've been able to uh, – we got a good scout report on her, and we've been able to hit her uh, pretty well for the last three years. But, but she always has those out-of-conference games where she gets very – you know, she can, be, she can be tough. So, you know, always fearful as a head coach. Like, you worry you're going to run into her on that one night during her career that she can shut out the Cajuns. But we've, we've had good luck against her, and I think we will – uh, will we'll perform well again this weekend, but that they they've got great pitching, and then they they've got ways to manufacture runs. They've also got a couple of outstanding hitters. Uh, Horn is outstanding; she's as good a right-handed hitter as there is in the conference, and and they've got some players around her that are good as well. All right, before we go, we we begin the conversation kind of talking about the cages and on the baseball side with the RPI, but. In terms of the Sunbelt Conference and softball and RPI, do you have the perception like, you know, you look at James Madison, their non-conference RPI is like in the 200s and App State's almost 200 and Coastal's over 200. Do, do the bigger – like the ACC, do they not want to play those teams? Or, you know, it seems like that's going to need to get better. They've got to play a better schedule. And they can get teams to play them. That's, that's not right. You know, you have coach say they won't play us. They'll play you. You've got to be willing to make concessions. Like, you know, I could say, I could be saying, well, teams don't want to play us. They will play us. I just got to go to their place. And, and you've got to be willing to do that. Now, if you go to their place and you show some fortitude there and get out there and, and play good teams, uh, They'll, they'll eventually return back and come back to you. And and one of the reasons the good teams don't want to play bad teams is because their RPI is going to be real high. And so, like, what I call, I said, look, I've got a really tough schedule. We won't hurt you to play us. It won't hurt you to play us. Our RPI is going to be high next year. You know, I, I told several coaches that. Florida, LSU knows that. Uh, you know, you have those conversations head coach to head coach. It's not just getting one game or two games. If you want to, if you want to play the big schools, you've got to play the big schools often. Because I'm looking, James Madison is 90, and they play James Madison. In fairness, they play a pretty good schedule, and also geographically, it's not quite as easy for James Madison to play a really good schedule as it is uh, Auburn or I mean uh, Troy, who's got Auburn, Alabama. Florida, Florida State, all those schools are within a couple of hours. Georgia, they're all within a few hours of, you know, a Troy, a South Alabama. We're very fortunate here. We've got Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M, LSU. Uh, we've got a lot of good programs close to us in driving distance. <clears throat> it's a little tougher when you're up there where James Madison is. But you still can commit to that. you just got to go early in the year. They've got to. And, and they've got to increase their schedule a little bit. But the biggest one in our conference is Marshall. I mean, they really played a disappointing schedule, Marshall and Georgia State, in my opinion. Uh, I want to see those coaches step up. We have head coaches meetings, and we talk about how important it is to play a really tough schedule. 
and and there's different reasons. You know, they may have a big freshman class. They, they, there's reasons why head coaches don't want to play a tough schedule on a on a particular year, but long in general and over a long term period, the Sun Belt. If we we're, we're number six conference, which is good. We're the top non mid major, uh, the non power five. We're the top conference. But I think we can be better than the Power Five conferences. I mean, we could be ranked fourth or fifth in the conference if every coach in the conference would do exactly what Texas State did or we did, um, and what South Alabama consistently does. <clears throat> we could. There's no reason the, the Sun Belt, with our geographic location in the South in warm weather, we could be a top four or five conference in the country if everybody gets on the same page and if athletic directors you know, demand and, and, and support that, that pursuit. Now, I don't know, if the, it, you know, I don't know all those things. That's beyond my, my job, but, but that's from that, that's realistic. I know that as a softball coach, they will play you. You just have to make concessions sometimes that you don't want to make. All righty, Coach. Well, we appreciate your time as always. Congratulations on the win last night and good luck this weekend. Yeah, I thought the last thought on, on last night, I thought it was a huge night for our freshman class. You know, Maya Davis hit the big home run. We all know what she can do in her offense and defense, and she changes games. But then you look, you know, you had a two-run double from Lauren Allred. You had Vic uh, Valdez making a huge tag at home plate on a squeeze play. You had her throwing out three runners out of three on stolen bases. You know, we only threw out five people all year last year. She threw out three last night in one game. And then she gets a two-run home run. And then you have Sissy Valdez coming in playing defense. And then her last six at-bats, she's got three doubles. Uh, Sissy Vasquez, you know, three doubles out of her last six at-bats. So she's coming on. And then, you know, it, just, it was a really good statement game for our freshman class, I thought. All righty, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Kevin. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. All right. Uh, we were just talking Dawson and I off the air, and I understand that some people think that it could be a little more than it is, but I still have always given LSU uh, credit for playing, and I think it goes back to Skip understanding. I'm not saying it's always as good as it can be, but I still think it goes back to Skip understanding in the late 80s that it's important to LSU for the state of Louisiana to be good in baseball. And, I again, I, it's not about patting myself. I guess you could say I got a little lucky with it, but I really believe that. I remember writing a column in the late 80s saying, look, folks, I understand where you know, we're in the South and this is football. This is a baseball state, and it's been a baseball state since the late 80s. I understand everything's about football. I get that. And I don't and sometimes when I say football, some people are like, you don't like football. I love football. But 
I also love baseball, and I, I recognize, and I think Skip recognized a long way back then, even before LSU started winning national championships, and a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon long before the Cajuns went to the College World Series in 2000, and a bunch of people jumped on the bandwagon. This has been a baseball state since the 80s, and 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 and, and softball is is catching up, and. I still think LSU deserves credit for playing. Like, LSU softball was at McNeese last night. And I understand there are more baseball and softball teams that travel and play these teams more than so than, say, basketball because there are more games. But I still think they, they, they're they willing to do that because they understand the value of it and it's good. And, um, you know, maybe – to your point, there's some programs maybe they should travel a little more to, but at least they travel to them. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's been my point too. I think, and I don't mean to say this like an exception to McNeese or anyone else. I just think UL and Tulane over the extended period of time has have exhibited that. I think it makes sense not only from, obviously, as a UL alum and stuff, so I, I want to see LSU go to UL more, but I think LSU has big fan bases in those big cities as well, Lafayette and New Orleans, that it makes sense for them to go every year. Whereas for a while they were doing it with Tulane and then they stopped and now that they, they didn't play Tulane for five, four or five years because there was you know some some I guess bad blood there with that the way that went down but now they're back playing them and so I think yeah again that's such a luxury too when you talk about RPI that like you don't have to go to Texas to play a bunch of good RPI games in the midweek and obviously with logistical issues it's tough to travel in the midweek so Louisiana has something pretty good going and like it helps that Southeastern's usually got a pretty good program McNeese is very good right now and. Typically, you know, Nichols and all those teams have all been at least decent. But, yeah, I think that matters. The interesting thing, too, is like Coach Glasgow was mentioning, I think the next step for the Sun Belt, and we'll have time to get into this, is the bottom three or four of the Sun Belt, I think, has to get out of the basement for the conference to kind of take the next step. But I think yeah. they're on their way. No, it's it, it, it it's definitely good. And, um, you know, like we talked about, even like, Louisiana Tech and softball, their their RPI was when I looked at it was better than I thought, and uh, and Southeastern's was better than I thought. So all all of that is good. So again, we talked about it yesterday. Big opportunity day for for Cajun baseball and McNeese softball, and they both came through and helped them RPI. Y'all have a nice day.